Hey, J. Crew, Stephanie is still recuperating. Wayne Hoffman is here in her place. He is famously profane. That's true. Will you be swearing, Wayne? Effing right. <laughs> so send the kids out of the room. This has been your obscenity warning. So Ellie asked me Sophie's choice the other day. We're having breakfast and Ellie says, dad, dad, if you had to kill one of us, which one would it be? I was like, I would not kill any of you. She's like, no, 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 but dad, dad, let's say someone came along and said, I'm going to kill one of your children or all of them. Like she had the whole plot line. And I was like, I, I wouldn't answer that. She's like, you'd let all of us die. <laughs> I was like, stop, stop child. It's what you missed out on when you got your vasectomy, Paul. Hello, J. Crew. This is Unorthodox, the world's leading Jewish podcast. I am your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined this week by an eclectic mix of gentlemen. First, it's tablet senior writer Liel Leibowitz. You may know him. You may know him. But but with Stephanie Butnick out recuperating from her surgery, we have a special guest host. It's tablet executive editor and leading novelist Wayne Hoffman. Welcome, Wayne. Thank you. Longtime listener, first time co-host. But you've been a guest. Weren't you a guest once before? I've been a guest. What were you talking about? I forget. I was talking about my last novel, An Older Man. Oh, that's right. People should go buy that novel. People should go buy that novel. People should go buy that novel. Stop now. Hit, hit pause. Hit pause. Go buy that novel. Our Jew of the Week is Lonnie Santo, who is the executive director of Footsteps, which helps ultra-Orthodox Jews who want to leave the fold. For some reason, I don't know why anyone ever want to, but if, if it wasn't your cup of tea, hypothetically... Uh, then For me, might. mainly, the fold wanted me to leave. <laughs> Can you please go somewhere? Uh, and I should say, by the way, I think it's a complicated question because some of them are happy in the fold. Like, we keep talking about the fold. It sounds pulchritudinous and gross. Our Gentile of the Week is Harvard classicist and Bob Dylan expert Richard F. Thomas, not the one from the Thornbirds. Wasn't Richard Thomas on... From from the and Waltons? The Waltons, And yes. the Waltons, right. This is Richard F. Thomas. This is Harvard classicist Richard F. Thomas. Good night, John F- Boy. F, yeah. Uh, good night, John Boy. Um... Wayne, Wayne, our guest host is 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 our boss, is Wayne Hoffman. Oh yes. So so, so watch it. So watch it. So Lana is very funny and wise. Oh no, no, that's right. To him we bow uh-huh, in reverence. Yes. He signs the checks. Wayne, uh, what's going? Well, we we'll let you we'll let you sink into that chair for a moment. Get okay. get happy, Leah. What's going on with you this week? Thanksgiving, mofo. Yeah. So we're recording on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. You, of course, you host everything. I, I'm 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 a host. Have you slaughtered the turkey yet? Have I, you done kaporos with the turkey yet? I have a twenty-one pounder, which I have never done before. Wow. It is it is of noble proportion. <laughs> it is the turkey equivalent of me, basically. You look at it and be like, that shouldn't be a thing, but somehow it exists in this world. It's Who's like coming? large and, and white and, and jiggly. Large. It really is, you know. <laughs> it's Jewish too. It's it is Ko- kosher turkey. Kosher turkey. Oh yeah. Uh who's coming? Uh, a host of people. A bevy, Friends, a bevy, of a bevy, people, a, a bevy. gaggle. What do you call? What is a proper like? What do you call the the the, the multi, multiple noun of, 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 of Thanksgiving guests? guests? For Thanksgiving. Uh, it's a, a murder a of guests. A shit ton. <laughs> a shit ton. Uh, but and, f- an alienation. But it's of French. Guests. It's a chiton. chiton. Yeah. It's a chiton. Uh, it sounds Hebrew now. <laughs> chiton. It's a chiton. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? I'm going to see my sister in Denver. Oh, oh, oh. It's a, a big family gathering. Sort of by coincidence, a bunch of my relatives wound up in Denver, and so that's where we go. Nice. And by coincidence, also weed is legal. Well, that is part of the reason for some of them. Yes. Will there be? Will is it, what's it, what's going on in Colorado? Is everyone stoned? All the time now. Like, will there be just edibles at Thanksgiving? Um, if last Thanksgiving is any guide, yes. Nice. And your books come out in paperback, I hear. Well, the book is out in paperback. I know. So that- <laughs> yes. <laughs> Have your family, has your family read it? Some yes and some no. I don't think my father has read it. But my father read my first book. Which was uh, no less Which was no graphic. less graphic. The first book is called Hard. 
the deal my parents made when the first book came out was my father said he would read it and then he would advise my mother as to whether she should read it or not. And he read it and told her, I don't think you should, which was fine. They're adults. And so she did not. And then he told me he didn't really need to know which parts of the novel were, were true. True. I said, fine, we'll make that deal. We won't talk about it. That's 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 sophisticated. Perfectly adult. That's, that's perfectly adult. sophisticated. Or do your, does your mother, do your parents read your books? No, they just don't care. They're like, oh, that's nice. You did something with your yeah. with your life no. with your loser i think no, my parents care. have read i mean they don't read everything i write my mother-in-law reads everything i write but my parents read the books Aww. they read a lot of stuff but i also don't send stuff around you know it's it's like I, I don't i don't i don't need my family to be my audience you know what i'm saying families for other things but are you aware that they could be your audience when you're writing well so the memoir which was the only i mean i've that i've written stuff that I'm sure isn't entirely comfortable for them to read. I've written about them. Like like your like uh, your fourth book. Thanks a lot, mom. <laughs> now out in paperback. Right. Um I try not to be And the short story collection. You ruined my life. I try not to. I mean, you know, my wife doesn't listen to my podcast, so you know, I mean So when are we gonna talk about her? We, we do all the time. We do. We do. She's a wonderful woman. Hey, news of the Jews. She's wrong about home decorations. One, <laughs> but other than that, she's other than, fine. but Liel's on my side. I am. One piece of news of the Jews being that my wife doesn't listen to my podcast. Another uh, equally important piece. According to the Jewish Press article this week, there was a global employability ranking. It was designed by HR consultancy firm Emerging. That's what the, the H, or HR firms have gerunds as names. And it ranked universities on whose graduates were the most employable. Hebrew University, 62nd. This was news in the Jewish press. This is like uh, – I think they were proud of this. I think, look, look at our Jewish boys and girls. They're the tell you 62nd why? most. Caltech was first. HU, 62nd. Wait, because that's a that's a, a poll for employees. We be employers. <laughs> so. No? Are we supposed to? Wait. Isn't that the assumption? It's how employable you are, meaning how likely you are to get a job. Right, right, Not right. how likely you are to start your oh, own I startup, sell saying. it for $7 billion right. two days later. Anyway, it's, it's, it, seemed, it seemed like an odd bit of news of the Jews, but, that it, but it ran in an ultra-Orthodox publication. I so. don't know. It's their new slogan. We're number 62. We try way, way, way harder. <laughs> Technion was number 79. Caltech, number I'm one. I'm sorry, McDonald's University? Because <laughs> that's Ring. technically a school, and everyone gets a job. News of the Jews. You wrote about Gal Gadot this week. I Wasn't write about Gal Gadot every week. We have, <laughs> oh, seriously, we have a feature called This Week in Gal Gadot, week in Gal Gadot. which <laughs> we run every week. All right, this week, the story was on. She was in GQ, and yes. your story was basically greatest hits from the oh, GQ. My, God. my story was, she is so adorable. I mean, the article, if you aren't already like completely like enamored with her this article would just I love that she tries to feed her interviewer first thing she does is like have have an egg salad sandwich she shows up with an egg salad sandwich like hey, here eat why why are you not eating <laughs> and then she goes to this neighborhood cafe and I, I could like being from Tel Aviv like you could see it like everyone's like hey Gal the recipe you gave me for hummus was very good thank you like it was that it was like so there's a word in Hebrew that is a, I know you're into this uh, it's the, I'm learning Hebrew by I watching Shrugim that's the right absolute best word and it's impossible to kind of translate because like the meaning is lost. The word is easy. The word is shuna. Shuna means, literally it means neighborhood. But what it really means is like everything here is so awesomely, wonderfully provincial and everyone knows everything and everything is like so low key and like not at all fancy and impressive. I love that. She's really shuna. And I mean this in the best, best way imaginable. Um, sausage roll scandal in the United Kingdom. 
Wayne, were you following this one? Of course. Okay. I follow all sausage-related scandals. <laughs> okay. Do you want to explain this one to our listeners? There was a scandal. It was a, it was a manger scene where, uh, from a bakery <laughs> that they put up where the three wise men are standing around. Instead of the baby Jesus, they're standing around a sausage roll. And it's a sausage roll that also has a bite taken out of it. <laughs> um, this aroused protests. I'm not sure why. Um, everyone loves sausage rolls. I don't see the problem. Did arouse protests? I, I confess I didn't read. The, I read the headline, not the story. Did arouse protests from Jews? Because we don't care what goes in no. manger scenes. No. From uh, nor do Jews allegedly care about sausage rolls, except for those of us Here's who do. Here's what I don't get: you already do the flesh of Christ, right, with a with a communion yes. waivers and stuff like. Isn't it just about time that you sort of upgraded? You know how like KFC now would have like a bun made out of fried chicken? So like, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't it be a communion wafer? That's a sausage roll. It will get so many more people into church. Like if church gave out free meat. I'd go. Everyone. <laughs> that, that would make go. a Christian out of you, just free meat. <laughs> no, no, at least I would go to church. I don't know if it would make a Christian out of me, but I'd go. Yeah, you go, go to church. church. Um, when I was doing dissertation research uh, on religion in the late 60s, one of the things you came across a lot was the mass where the priests would do communion with, with like beer and bagels. Miss um, Israel and Miss Iraq, Instagram diplomacy. Miss Israel. Do you want to explain this one? <laughs> I'm a, a bit baffled by this one. First they of all, at, they, they're at this. Yeah, what is even the like contest? A third tier. Right. They're at the Miss International contest, which is like if you don't make Miss Universe or Miss Hemisphere or Miss Cosmos, if you know, if you don't make one of the Donald Trump contests, you go down to Miss International, where Miss International Israel and Miss International Iraq. Yeah, who's 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 the billionaire behind behind Miss International? Sheldon Adels. It's probably Sheldon Adels. It has Adels to be like someone like Sheldon Adels and like, hello, girls. It's like, oh my god, you're like a second rate Trump. That's sad. So they took an they took a selfie and put it on, I don't know, one of those Instagram, Instagram, Snapchat, and it was Miss Israel and Miss Iraq, Iraq or Iran. Iraq. 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 Peace has never been closer at hand. I just want to, I've made this point before when we've talked about Jewish beauty pageant contestants because, you know, in principle. We're, we're not Holocaust survivors. Right. There's a special category there that we permit. <laughs> we should play. We, we've probably attracted a few thousand listeners since we played Miss Holocaust Beauty Pageant Cutie Pie. That's right. Noah, you might want to play a little snippet. If you want to be sad. If you want to be for sad. the holidays. Right. The greatest song the Jubador ever did. Look at you rolling down the aisle, you survivor. Look at your beautiful smile as it shines. But I've made this point before, which is I don't think that we got a country so that we can have beauty pageant contestants. Like the idea, you know, that apocryphal line of Herzl that Zionism will have succeeded when Jewish cops are arresting Jewish prostitutes. Right. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that's sort of the way I feel about this. Is like, is this is this Zionism success? Is we have completely vapid, stupid beauty pageant contestants? Like two words for you, man. Gal. My lip flipping <laughs> Oh, but the she's a, is yes. But she's a talented thespian, Leo. Right, but she got to be that way. Was she Miss International? She, she was Miss Universe, right? I mean, that's well, that's nothing compared well. to Miss International. Miss, apparently, Miss, yeah. I'm just against all of it. Uh, Leo, you flagged this one for the scroll for our blog on on tablet. Uh, the you you wrote about this one, the righteous GPS device for Haredi Jews who are not permitted to use smartphones by their rabbi. I think this is one of the greatest stories of of our time. Uh, so let's say you drive around a lot in a confusing city like Jerusalem that was designed in, you know, 900,000 years ago, uh, and you need a GPS device to get you through, but the rabbis do not permit for you to have a smartphone. 
because there are all kinds of filth on the smartphone. Modernity. 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 And by the way, how, how freaking wise are the rabbis? They're pretty wise, actually. Can you imagine how great it was if like some figure of authority was like, uh, you can't fuck around on Facebook. Be like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> I just became 700 times more productive. Finally. <laughs> I got my life is. back. I know. I don't have to click through stories of like 36 celebrities from the 90s. You won't believe right. what they look like right now. When Number lipo- six would shock you. <laughs> when facial liposuction goes wrong. <laughs> like you don't have to do that anymore. So anyway, imagine if, if you couldn't. Right. Uh, what would you do? What I, And you had to get around Jerusalem. You had to get around Jerusalem. And you couldn't use a map because and, they don't and, make maps anymore. And prayer only works some of the time. Right. What do you do? You can say, Hashem, take me to, you know, number 36 <laughs> at Grown Street. Like, right. you can't do that. Right. Uh, what you do is you get, ready for this, you get the Ark. Do you want to know what the Ark is? Well, it's it's Daniel Schultz's, uh, you know, <laughs> website right. for, for aesthetically inclined Jews. It's also a, That's Ark with a Q. A large uh, wooden mini cabinet basically like imagine like an ipad shaped sized uh wooden box Mm -hmm. inside of which someone uh welded (laughs) an iphone that is locked only to the uh, navigation application ways what if you're a google maps kind of girl uh you're you're screwed you're fucked yeah there should be like a like a counter arc someone (laughs) probably would come up with covenant (laughs) uses google maps (laughs) and it was designed like an arc so it would it would kind of convey you know holiness it has a sticker that says this application has been uh filtered only for navigational purposes and and you put it on your dashboard and it tells you where to go. Now, my question is, I think that the like ARC 2.0 should actually have the voice of God. Morgan Freeman? Instead of like, you know, <laughs> turn left at the intro show. <laughs> turn left, my son. <laughs> go now forth from thy home. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great? So apropos our, our uh, goy of the week uh, this yes. week. Uh, do you know that at some point, uh, none other than Bob Dylan was seriously engaged in talks to be the next voice of a GPS of, I think, Garmin. I thought you were going to say to be the next god. Well, that, that, that too. That, but Can you imagine, like, to be, the, to be a the GPS. Band of band goon, <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally. Reach your destination, <laughs> Hannah's a feel. <laughs> And finally, my favorite news, the juice story this week. We're getting in all my faves this week. We're getting in the, uh, the, the beauty contestants and anti-vaxxers. So <laughs> Ma- our colleague Marjorie Engel wrote a piece this week for Tablet about this lovely children's book called Judah Maccabee Goes to the Doctor. And it's about a, a little boy who um, he has to go get a shot and he goes and by the um, way, I love how, how far we've come as a people from Judah Maccabee defeats his enemies. Right. <laughs> Judah Maccabee goes to the doctor. He has the sniffles. He's not feeling too well. So he shows up and um, his mother gives him um, a shield. I think it's his mother. Anyway, uh, he gets a shield, which is supposed to protect. And, and the shield is a metaphor for immunization. So it's like, oh, the shots are like the shield that Judah Maccabee has in the story. They protect you. They say whatever. And basically it's a, it's not a pro-immunization book, but it's a book in which like normal sane human beings there are, you know, he he is immunized. And um, there's an afterword with a quote from Pirke Avot, who is a hero, a gibor, the one who conquers his own fears because he goes, he gets his shots. So then basically, I'll just read from, from, from Marjorie's article, right? See, cute, 
pedestrian enough that it would have escaped my notice had it not been for the anti-vaccine rabble who discovered it on Amazon and posted 11 one-star reviews in two days. Thanks, patchouli-scented science haters. I love it when Marjorie gets angry, right? One proud Jewess hissed, no child should feel the pressure of having to risk their own health under the delusion that it could somehow keep another child safe. I'm amazed that after the forced experimental procedures done on our people during the Holocaust, anyone would willingly inject vaccines into their baby <laughs> with the knowledge we have that vaccines contain the DNA from aborted fetuses. Well, there you go. So what's amazing about that quotation, right? Is Everything. It, is it's like <laughs> every it, word. It merges Mengele, the urban legends about aborted fetuses, yeah. anti-vaxxer craziness. Infowars type Info conspiracy <laughs> theory. <laughs> like, and and parental outrage. Oh my God. Everything that's good about humanity. I'll just say right now, if you're a Jewish anti-vaxxer, um, so, oh, and Marjorie pointed out that she did a sort of little study last year when the California Department of Public Health published which schools had what the vaccination rates were at schools because you have to file something if you opt out for religious or medical reasons. And she discovered a whole bunch of Jewish schools where 10, 20, in one case, 75 percent of the kids weren't vaccinated because there are a lot of dumb Jewish hippies. And I just want to say, I think I've said this before, but if you're an anti-vaxxer, we actually don't want you. We actually think you go find another podcast. Would you agree? Would you, are you with me there? You know, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're listening, so that we can't touch them or get disease. So you could you could listen from afar. Just Can don't we, come to we, our live shows. Here's the thing: don't, don't come, come to, to live shows. Don't write mail. Like you could listen. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Don't don't communicate your communicable diseases in any way. Uh, and and also, uh, what are you on? Because I want to be on that. Like, can you imagine that your worldview really is that, like, vaccines are a government conspiracy to put dead fetuses to make babies sick? It's Holocaust boys fat? from Brazil. Like, I kind of like that. <laughs> meets X-Files. Meets yeah. X-Files. You know, that, I, I could see why that would be good. That's it's a, like having your Netflix, your own Netflix show in your head <laughs> 24-7 and it's never canceled. And Winona it just Ryder keeps, is great in it, by That's the way. right. It's called Strangest Things. <laughs> Hey, we have three live shows coming up, three chances to see us, but one one's a big live show and two are like micro live shows. Uh, most importantly, on November 29th, Stephanie Butnick is doing the terrific local storytelling hour called Long Story Long. It's Wednesday, November 29th at 61 Local in Brooklyn. You can find it on Facebook. If you want the details about where 61 Local is, precisely when the start time is, go onto our Facebook page. Join us on Facebook. November 29th, Long Story Long with Stephanie Butnick. A few nights later, December 2nd, I'm going to do a Jewish Muslim storytelling night. Also, that will be posted on Facebook. In fact, I've already posted it on our Facebook page, and I would love to see you out there, also in New York City. All of us will be at Rodef Sholem uh, Congregation in Manhattan on West 83rd Street, December 5th at 7 p.m. It is free, but you must register at rodefsholem.org. You can figure out how to spell that because you're smart people. rodefsholem.org slash tablet. Our Jew of the Week will be foodie Mark Bittman, and we are still working on a super elite Gentile of the week. But that is a free live show on the Upper West Side, West 83rd Street, December 5th at 7 p.m., rodefshalom.org slash tablet. Some new newsletter subscribers, Keith Kravitsky, Dave Friedholm, good luck, Dave, on the conversion classes, Bradley Stillman, your last name sounds Gentile. Uh, by the way, you want the newsletter, it's in your spam filter, Bradley, you have to check for it. Saul Morris, Rachel Goodhearts, Monica Arkin, Rebecca, I spell my name correctly, Estera, and Amanda Rose Hillman. Rachel Goodhearts has joined the law firm this week. 
Do you have any thoughts on who Rachel Goodhart's might be, Liel? Wayne, do, do you have any thoughts? You are the expert when here. When you see the last name Goodhart's, I mean, obviously it's it's a corruption of Goodhart in German. A right? Corruption. Wouldn't it be good Hertz? I think it's good Hertz. Pronounced Gathars. <laughs> like like Johnny Gathar. Johnny Gathars. Uh, I, I think that's I think that's originally who she was. That's right. And then I think she was conceived uh, on the second day of Woodstock. Mm-hmm. And you know her parents are like, if we ever have a, a little baby girl, we'll we'll name her Guitars. And she's like, that's kind of weird. I'll go the full German thing. She, right. She, in fact, was a Gentile whose parents were really yep. into shredding with the Wawa bar. That's right. And, and, and then once she got into her graduate program yes. and started reading Hegel, yes. she was like, I need a kind of more Germanic sound. And I said, it's not guitar. It's been on guitars. Guitars. Which is much more, you know. Then a Hasidish Rav in Jerusalem said, Frau Gutherz. Uh. And she said... That's what it is. So it's been a, it's been an interesting journey for her. She's thinking we're glad of, to have her on board. But we're very she's one hundred percent vaccinated. <laughs> the newsletter is not the regular tablet newsletter. No, it's, not. it's not. This one's written by Liel. Yes, copy, it is. Copy edited by Wayne Hoffman. Right. Uh, to get this letter, sign up on our website tabletmag.com or send it. Copy edited by Stephanie Butting. Send it well. Send an email asking for it to. And when I say asking for it, just send an email asking for it. To unorthodox at tabletmag.com, put in the subject line newsletter, please, or see vous play. Be forewarned, we might make fun of your name. While you're at it, please rate us on iTunes, share us on Facebook, join our Facebook group, which is up to almost a thousand uh, people. You could be uh, you could be our thousandth groupie. Um, Unless the anti-vaxxers all abandon us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain that every single person right. listening to this show we lose 80% of our audience next is, week is a delusional maniac <laughs> who believes conspiracy theories it's like oh no the government got to unorthodox now I can't listen anymore it turns out that's our Venn diagram is Jews and anti-vaxxers and we never do it oh. anyway subscribe all right, on to our Jew of the Week. Our Jew of the Week is in studio. It's Lonnie Santo. Lonnie is the executive director of Footsteps, which supports and affirms individuals and families who choose to leave the ultra-Orthodox communities and lifestyles in their quest to lead self-determined lives. Was that was that your language or was that Shira's? In their quest to lead self-determined lives. That is lives. our mission statement that language. That is your mission statement <laughs> language. That is such, such a thing as a self-determined life. I want a self-determined life. I and I was never a even possibility. Don't we all? Yeah. We all want... So we Lonnie, all. That's the point. That's not happening we, we all, all do, but, and yet none of us gets it this is the way we have some deep stuff to talk okay, about okay let's, go, let's get deep none of it gets it none, none of us gets, gets it. it so so I, why not just have nice people come in and bring your children like every right time why not have, have a, a support board. system of of a million people of that a thousand a people in your neighborhood question so wait okay first of all let's okay. talk let's, so answer it let's talk topless <laughs> here so footsteps for those people who haven't seen the a new Netflix documentary. Oh, Red Shulam Dean's amazing. Uh, what's the new Netflix doc? I watched it last night. It's called One of Us. One of Us, which is streaming on Netflix. Uh, we've had on the show Shulam Dean, who wrote All Who Go Do Not Return. Um, there is a lot of art out there now, I would say, about people who were in ultra-Orthodox communities who have left, who have become secular or just less religious. Um, you direct the major organization that helps them make that transition. Tell us about your work. What do you do? We, you kidnap them, right? You kidnap them so that you can save them from relig- from Judaism. That's exactly what we do not do. <laughs> <laughs> um, our values are really based on choice. So uh, we provide a combination of critical support services and facilitate community for people because as as many of you might understand from if you've watched one of us or read Shalom Dean's book or some of the other amazing pieces of art that are out there is that the hardest thing for people when they make the decision to leave, which is not taken lightly, 
is that they're losing their entire um, social support network as well as their economic support network. So why don't people just, uh, you know, just chill, just chill and take chill just, and, just tor- and, yeah. 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 and chill. That's a great movie. It is. That is a thing. Chill I mean, and chill. <laughs> that's, that's some hipster rabbis. That's Torah study. That's Tuesday, night, Tuesday night, chill and chill. Maybe Thursday night. Yeah, that's Thursday. <laughs> in my house. So, I mean, one of the, one of the characters in characters. I mean, one of the real people in the Netflix documentary says when you're in this community, if you get sick, everyone descends on you. Everyone brings you food. Everyone watches your kids. I mean, there's a lot to be said. It's the kind of thing us secular people are always trying to create, which is actual supportive community. Uh, Why do people want to leave? People leave when they have no other choice but to leave, right? They don't they don't take the decision lightly, um, meaning they might have questions. They might be doubting the the systems in which they're living, they might be they might be um, unhappy with the roles that are assigned to them for life. For many, you know, knowing your entire life ahead of you is a comforting thing. But for some, in the way that people are wired, it doesn't necessarily work. And so it's when that person, it's when someone is a real has a real sense of individuality, and they can't necessarily put the community before the individual time and time again that they end up feeling incredibly stuck in that life. And and really, people leave when they can't stay anymore. I have a million questions for you. Okay. Uh, but but let's let's start with a... I have with another kind of million. Basics. We have two million. Wayne Pye is a three million. We have three million questions for right. you. So, so, so someone decides to leave, and there are a host of practical right considerations that we don't necessarily think about, like command of English, like mm. command of basic kind of educational foundations that in the secular society are taken for granted, but maybe not in in the ultra orthodox world. T- tell us kind of what kind of services are 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 given. What kind of support do you find is the most acutely needed? The fir- first thing you asked about practical, but I will tell you that the first thing that people need is community. So they walk in and they are coming to us because they feel incredibly alone and uh, they've been hiding something for a long time and they want to just be understood and they want to have a safe place where people are listening, asking um, supportive questions, but not trying to convince them to do one thing or another or to be one way. And so I would say the most critical thing we're offering is a safe space that is um, supported by both a combination of professional staff and peers. Um, so that looks like a drop-in group on a Thursday night um, of you know 15 people sitting around sharing what's going on. That looks like a beautiful community dinner that we had at, on Sunday evening. We have a Thanksgiving dinner the Sunday before Thanksgiving. 200 people were there, right? Oh. And then, yes, the practical supports are important, but I would say that people come for community and they stay for services. Um, I could describe those practical supports if, yeah, you're, if, a, you're, if you want to hear some about them. greatest hits of practical them. supports. Um, helping people get their GED. We have a college scholarship program. Um, we've given out over a million dollars since 2006. Um, we have partnerships with many organizations. We don't try to do things on our own. We're a small nonprofit. $2.3 million doesn't get you that far in New York City, and we're not trying to replicate services. So we have wonderful partners on that, and we help people um, access emotional supports and legal services. So over 30% of our members are parents, um, and uh, they really just want to retain a relationship with their kids as they're leaving. Um, So the combination of helping them access legal services as much as we can, which is a tough battle, um, as well as the emotional supports there. 
So that's a little bit of the top hits. It seems like uh, we can tell in the documentary, but also just from anecdotal stories I've heard, when people decide to leave their communities, it's not like a one-day decision. And then their community says, oh, you want to leave? Leave. I'm sure we'll work out some amicable arrangement for you to stay connected to your family. So what kind of pressures do the communities that they're leaving continue to exert on people even after they come to you? And has there ever been anyone who's come to Footsteps who's then under that kind of pressure from the community they're leaving, decided not to leave after all. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that the, the majority of people who come to Footsteps have been thinking about it, as you said, for such a long time. I mean, I'm talking about er, like early adolescence. Um, you know, the doubts are there or they're asking too many questions and their teachers are saying, stop asking questions. That's just, you just do this. Or they're getting kicked out of their schools and moving around. Most people who come to us just have thought about it for a long time and then they're they're not like, oh, well, forget it, you know? <laughs> Just picking up the phone or coming through our doors is a huge risk. Um, every now and again, I'll, I'll wonder myself, and, and then we'll start asking around, like, where, where did Heshi go? Or where did, you know, um, Malka. Malka end up? <laughs> um, so, you know, we've served 1,400 people since our founding. I would venture to guess, like, a very small percentage of them have gone back. Um, Thing, mostly it's financial. I, um, I, I was just talking to someone who um, wasn't fitting in as a, as a teen, ended up, you know, on the streets with a, with, with a, a group of kids like his age in Borough Park and sort of, you know, going from family to family. And, you know, he shared a story with me about someone who was two years ahead of him. He never would, Im- would have imagined him going back. Um, and then he turned around. He was he happened to be at the hotel. He was 16. He looked up and there there was this guy full garb, you know, shuckling with with fervency. And he said, I don't understand. I, I we 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 were we were in this together. And and he's like, listen, I was struggling so much. And they turned to me and, you know, they had open arms and they had a place for me to stay. And and so I do I do think like one of the things we do that's really critical that I didn't describe in the so list some, of some services who go, do come back. a few yeah. uh, we really work on slowing it down for people meaning if someone's coming to us and they're 18 and they're like I want to leave I've been thinking about it for years I'm moving out I'm telling my family we're like whoa <laughs> that is not that's going to land you on the streets or worse and our goal is really to have people li- lead a self-sufficient life um and supported by community, right? So they need to work on figuring out a plan for the practical pieces. And often that means living at home while they're navigating, um, going to college it's with like their com- family. It's like coming out as gay it's in some ways, a right? a lot like that. Like you don't, yeah. don't come out if you're about to get, if it'll make you homeless, right. I would think. Yeah. How did you, how did you get into that, into this line of work? Um, I had been, I had professionally been working in the field of international human rights and had been, you know, thinking I would build a career in anti-poverty and human rights work, um, thinking about the domestic and and international intersections, um, finished an MPA at the Wagner School at NYU. And I talked to, I had the privilege of talking to someone, a colleague that I knew who had actually been an early mentor to Footsteps. And I was thinking about my next step. She said, had you ever heard of Footsteps? And I was like, Wow. Um, when I was growing up in Kew Gardens as a modern Orthodox uh, young girl, I, I would not have predicted that I would have ended up working at Footsteps. I, was, I, I grew up on the, 
on the fringes of of a black hat community. So my family was modern Orthodox. My parents landed themselves um, as Bali Chuva in a more, I would say, more religious community than they were. My 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 dad really loves it, and there are a lot of things to love about it. It wasn't working for my mom, and they um, they split ways. And then my mom came out as gay um, when I was about thirteen. And I'll I'll say that. When I first learned about footsteps and first started to talk to our members, one of the things that really resonated deeply with with me in terms of things that I had gone through was the need to keep a secret for a lot of years. Like in the modern Orthodox community, it's changed now, but back then no one was talking about being gay. So I want to pivot on on, on the secret point and and ask... you know, one might come off as an unkind question, but when the documentary came out, we we ran uh, a piece in tablet uh, by by an Orthodox woman who basically said, "Look, the work that you guys are doing is great, but this trend of you know coming out memoirs and 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 documentaries of people who left the fold and and you know started started a new life." Is actually kind of harmful because a lot of the work, as, as you yourself said, has to do with like negotiating very delicate arrangements with families, and to kind of make it this this big kind of like showcase Netflix series, you know, best selling book. That's actually just kind of gross and 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 performative. We would have been better off if we just did this quietly. How, how do you feel about that? To me. Footsteps was quiet for a lot of years, um, and a few few people trickled through our doors, and few supporters came to to help those few people trickling through our doors. When I when I started at Footsteps in 2010, we had served 500 people, and our budget was $400,000, and we were two and a half staff struggling to do good by those 500 people. There's 600,000 ultra-Orthodox Jews just in the New York metro area. Um, alone. And of that, we have an understanding that about 2% um, are leaving, um, have left or are leaving soon. Um, on I've heard stats like 25 to 30% of the people who are living in the community are, are not happy with their lifestyle. They're, they're staying because the risks are too high and understandably. And they, and we're not, we're not looking to like, you know, say, blast this open but at the same time if there are people who are dying inside and could see that there are others like them out there who are going through this and who are living lives that are successful they should see that um, because uh, ultimately that's saving lives and and um so that's how I would. So I mean that, that that gets to something very deep, which is you know what is what is the end game? How do you negotiate this in modernity? I mean, one of the guys in the documentary is quoting someone else who said to him, "Look, we need this stringency. This is how if we don't have this, we disappear. We assimilate, or we get murdered, or we we just go to the winds. We drift apart. We the way the way we figured out in the Haredi world to keep the Haredi world." Afloat, yeah. Afloat yeah. is you need very, very, very high walls. 100%. And I should say as someone who doesn't want to be ultra-Orthodox, but who philosophically thinks there You're are ultra lot- ultra-unorthodox. I'm ultra-orthodox. But who philosophically thinks that we want many different ways to be and that, un- and that ultra-orthodoxy is probably right for some people. What should their world look like? I mean, I agree with you. I, I presume you think that they shouldn't 
um, psychologically torture people who are dissenters or who are different or who have questions, right? What? What? But the fun at that. the same time, I also do want them to hold, I don't want them to disappear because I tend not to want groups right. to disappear. Nor do so, we. Right. Yeah. So what should they look like? Like what should the internal, how should they change internally so that they aren't torturing the dissenter or the different kid? In other words, if, if, if like, you know, uh, the squarers, you know, came to you be like footsteps, Right, work like, with us. Challenge accepted. Right. Consult us. Consult Tell us <laughs> how we can do better to have fewer people. I would people. love to have that conversation. That'd be an amazing conversation. I really would. So what would you say? So what would you say? One of the things I would say, because we would... Ultimately, like we want to put ourselves out of business. We don't. We don't right. want oh. to to be like. What's the right. long game? Right. We don't have to exist. Right. You're going to go work for McKinsey. You're what, cashing in in seven years. What is that you, look? Right. right. What does that look like that we don't have to exist? That ultimately you you started right there. That people are not tortured for wanting to leave. I mean, I talked about money, but there's there's psychological barriers. People are, there are modesty committees that go after people when they stop shaving their heads, like, and they 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 threaten that they'll kick their kids out of school. And, you know, you, maybe if someone's becoming a little more modern and you don't torture them psychologically and financially, they'll stay Oh, they'll stay more religious, but they they might be a little more modern, and that's not a terrible thing. They'll leave that community. They won't stay square. Maybe they'll move to Muncie, and that's okay, you know. But people are being tortured; and they're being pushed out. I mean, Etty speaks about in talkbacks how she wasn't setting out to leave. She wasn't setting out to leave. She wanted to get out of a terrible. Well, yeah, marriage. she wanted her husband. To, she wanted not to be married to a guy who beat her. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think that A, don't torture people who want to leave and B, connected to that, don't don't kick them out. Like figure out how to do this as a family. Don't be so concerned that if you have 17 kids, if one of them goes off, quote unquote, that you can't invite them back to a family wedding lest they impact their, you know, all of their nieces and nephews. They're not trying to convince people are not going to try to convince their nieces and nephews to leave. They just want to be living a life that's true to themselves. Uh, and so what I would say is, yeah, allow someone who goes who wants to go to go and don't cut them off. Cholent and chill is what you're saying. Cholent and chill. Wayne, yeah. do, you, do you have a final question for, for Lonnie? You don't have to. I just thought if there was a final question, you should get it. I mean, I do think the parallels to coming out are, pre are pretty tremendous. Yeah. Um, because one of the complaints that anti-gay forces have always made about coming out stories is that you're in, you're proselytizing, that you're actually encouraging people to come out as opposed to <laughs> trying to trying to reach people who actually are sorry, already that's, gay. That's really funny to me. <laughs> you're not trying to convert non-gay people to become gay. You're trying to encourage people who actually are already gay yeah. to actually be open about it. And that seems like the parallel it that you're exactly describing to me. It is exactly the parallel. It is exactly the parallel. Yeah. And there, I think that there are a lot of people out there that are scared and that, um, I mean, you look at the suicide rates in the ultra-Orthodox community this past year, they're high. They're high. And kids are self-medicating getting addicted to opiates and 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 some families are enabling that because they're coming home for chillin'. See, I just wish there was an organization like Footsteps for just people who don't like their families. Like, you don't have to be, like, gay or Haredi. Like, it's just called whatever. moving to the city. Just it's be like, moving to New York. Uh, I'm going to come here every Thursday. <laughs> I, th I wish it was as simple as just not liking your families. That's know, not really what's going on. And so many people really love it's their families. Like and we see people. Black. 
<laughs> you know, you're trying to lighten. It's like the you mood just here. want some color in your in your wardrobe, and they're just like black, black, black. I black. really uh, th- there are people who who have joined Footsteps who've said to me, all I was trying to do was to wear a denim skirt, a long denim skirt, and they wouldn't. They kicked me out of school. Yeah. I once read a piece about. Um, for the the only piece I ever did for the style section of the Times was about a yeshiva in uh, I think it was Borough Park or Williamsburg or somewhere that had sent home a letter to parents saying we're noticing that kids are wearing those clunky hipster style glasses, basically Buddy Holly glasses. They are very very modern. If you're please tell your kids not to wear them. The irony being, of course, that all of the the old Roche yeshiva wore, oh, those, wore those, but everyone knew that they were wearing them because they were just old guys who right. didn't know any better. When the kids wore them, they were wearing them <laughs> as hipster gestures, so the kids weren't allowed to wear them. Yeah, they had to. Wear ugly glasses. So anyway, um, Lonnie Santo, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. If people want to know more about footsteps, uh, if you want to help pull more kids off the derrick. No, that's no, not what we're about. I know. <laughs> if people if people want to help people uh, in those communities self-determine better and do it through footsteps, how can they learn more about your uh, organization? Footstepsorg.org. There's an extra org there. are there. two orgs? There are two orgs. <laughs> you couldn't get footsteps.org? It, Who it, the fuck has footsteps.org? It, Hold it's on. It's a whole long story. Hold on. We're finding this out right it's now. It's sitting GoDaddy is who has it. It costs way too much money for and us. And they want, you know what you need? They want $15,000. Does someone want to give us $15,000? Holy cow. It totally is. It's wastewater pump, back to school it's deals, not, pumps online. Uh, we've tried to buy it. Yeah. It was too expensive for you us. You need a donor to get you footsteps.org. Okay. But in the meantime. Um, but in the meantime, footstepsorg.org, <laughs> or if someone's listening out there and does not have internet access, um, 212 2530890. You should all do what I do and give this wonderful organization money. There we go. You Thank do? Thank you. I do. You do. All right. Thanks for supporting us. Pleasure. Thanks, Lonnie. I appreciate it, Liel. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J. Crew! it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a double header for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. 
You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for Tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag slash UO member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. That was our new mailbox theme from listener Steve Barton. We put out a call for a mailbox theme and Steve, well, he wrote one for us. So, um, yeah, so we're going to play it forever because we think it's incredibly catchy. We think it's amazing. (laughs) All right. Some weirdly personal mail this week. I'm just, I mean, it's. You know, sometimes the mail is about world historical events. Sometimes it's about the Miss International pageant. And sometimes it's really, it's about, about you. Sometimes it's really about us. <clears throat> but not about me. Here's our first letter. Hi, Mark, Stephanie, and Liel. I need to share this crazy dream I had last night. <laughs> <laughs> we all love mail that begins that way. I think I know where this is going. Our street in Israel was being attacked by a group of terrorists. And while struggling to defend ourselves, my father said out of nowhere, call Liel. He then proceeded to call Liel, who came to try and help us. No idea where that dream came from, but it was too funny not to share. Chodesh Chov, Aliza. Well, Liel. <laughs> sure. Uh, a dream. Right. Uh, right. Are you, that never happened. Are you act- I never saved innocent civilians from a you, terrorist attack single-handedly in the street in Israel ever. Are you actually a superhero? You know. I noticed we never see you. Super is really a big term. Settle <laughs> <laughs> for hero. Here's another one. Hi. I love your podcast and look forward to it each week. I was shocked, though, to hear that Mark Oppenheimer's daughter's bat mitzvah date is the same as our daughter's date, because mine, her daughter, that is, hasn't even started learning her portion. Now I feel behind. I think Stephanie's right, and the bat mitzvah will be the new Stephanie's wedding weekly topic, and you guys can keep me on my toes. Best, Juliet Grossman. Juliet, I cannot believe that you haven't started preparing yet. Yeah, Juliet. I mean, Juliet, you're really permanently scarring your child, who would clearly never, ever be able to master the great emotional, intellectual weight that is the Torah portion that she has to memorize. Time's a wasting. Rebecca, come on now. Rebecca is rooting for your daughter. In fact, email us back and tell us your daughter's name, and we can make the ongoing theme for the next year and a half be (laughs) Rebecca and little Shlomit's bat mitzvah. In fact, call us. Call us. Yeah. Let's arrange a call. We would do an impromptu bat mitzvah study session. Liel will tutor your daughter in trope. I will tutor the which trope. Which he doesn't know. Like, uh-huh. but I, do, I do know. You know trope? Oh, yeah. Why did you learn does. trope? What do you mean? You grew up secular Tel Avivian and they don't even know no. prayers. No? No. I thought you did. No. Your parents were religious? Yes. Uh, one of them was. You never, which one? The trope, my mother. Trope I is. did not know that. Oh, I'm, well. I'm, I'm a target. Why am I paying Batsheva Marcus' daughter a, to tutor when you can be tutoring Rebecca? You know there are apps for that, right? I like, do know there are killer apps. I do know. I yeah. actually have one on my phone. Uh, all right. I don't, I, I'd have to go find my phone. I know, but it's today. locked in this wood case. <laughs> <laughs> 
and it won't let me navigate to anything else. <laughs> All it plays is by mitzvah. All right, wait, 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 wait. The mail gets even better. Not that there's anything wrong with those letters, because those were awesome. Hi, Mark, Stephanie, and Liel. First, Mark, I've got you beat. I've got five kids. My oldest is eight. My youngest is six months. They are Benjamin, Luther, Boaz, Magdalena, and Violet. Who should Boaz, not? Boaz, Luther, Magdalena. Magdalena. Oh my lord! Somebody didn't tell this guy that Magdalena is not a name for a Jewish girl. Awesome, but Lucas awesome collection. Boaz, though. Boaz. Boaz. Yeah, strong. that is strong Torah. Yeah. Uh, he says they should not be listening to this mainly because of the Fabrengan language. But he goes on. Now, listen, I switched to Harry's razors because, well, frankly, Mark is so damn persuasive. He could probably get Esau to sell his birthright to Jacob a second time for a Montreal bagel. I also, <laughs> this is where the letter gets so good. I also submitted my nethers to the big V of vasectomy this past summer after five kids. You may or may not know that in preparation for the procedure, you are required to shave the low-hanging fruit. Knowing that this would be the most delicate shave I would ever undertake, I clicked in a fresh blade and hunkered down. <laughs> This is the greatest ad Harry's has ever had. Harry's ad rep. Harry's. We didn't write this. He writes, well, those five German engineered blades, the super handy trimming blade and the ergonomically weighted handle sure did pay off. The doctor even commented on what a close shave it was. Well, not really, but my wife did. Finally, wait, this letter only gets better. Finally, I am a Christian living in... <laughs> That explains Magdalena. Okay. But not Boaz. Finally, I am a Christian living in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, but I would love to experience some genuine Jewish religious culture, particularly a real homegrown Passover Seder. I was wondering if you guys might be able to hook a brother up and see if there are some fellow unorthodox listeners in my frozen neck of the woods who would be willing to have a family of Gentiles, seven of them apparently, to experience the celebration and remembrance of the great Exodus or any other holiday for that matter. Shalom, friends. Brad Wright. You know what I think? Brad. Mr. Mr. Wright. Mr. Lumberjack. I think we just found Mr. Wright. We just found Mr. Wright. Oh. Uh, I think we should just like abandon our own families <laughs> next <laughs> Passover and just Wright. go have Passover with Brad. In Edmonton. In Edmonton. In Edmonton. All, all, all of us. Okay, look, listeners, uh, for April, we've got a task. We have to find a Seder for Brad and Mrs. Wright and their five kids, Boaz, Luther, Magdalena, Violet, and somebody. And I mean, look, <laughs> somebody, look, the, the ball shaved, uh, Gentile or Orthodox listener has asked, we should answer. We're presuming that the balls will have not be, they will not be shaved by next Passover, but we don't know. He we might have know. liked it. It, it might become a habit. It might become a habit. Harry's <laughs> is that good. <laughs> Click harrys.com. Harrys.com. They didn't even buy an ad this week and they get an ad. That's how good we are. Dear Liel, next letter. Dear Liel, during episode 111, you confused Natalie Portman and Mila Kunis. How do you feel now? Yours, Elise Strunin. Liel, how do you really? Liel, how do you feel now? You know, I, I find it very hard to believe that I did that. I don't even remember the bit. What I, were, I don't think, you know, because one of them is, is, is talented and attractive. It's very hard to confuse them. Well, so I were we talking about Black One Swan? One of them's like a person. What were we talking? What were we <laughs> yeah. talking about? A part, probably Black Swan. Probably Black. Which is anyway. a movie that bored me to tears because again, it had like eighty percent too much Natalie, Natalie Portman. Portman in it. Anyway, at least Trudy was so. How do you feel now, bitch? I feel like I need to go see Bad Moms too. <laughs> well, Catherine Hahn, the greatest Hahn. Jewish non-Jew in the world. Um, anyways, uh, listeners. Can can we tell you how much we love you? Keep the mail coming. Send it to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Uh, send in invitations for Brad and his five kids and his yeah. wife to come to a Seder. Send in descriptions of which body parts you may or may not have shaved. With anything you want. Any, anything. We're, we're open. We, our, our hearts and our ears. And our standards open. are low. Mailbox. Got a letter in the mailbox. Got a letter in the mailbox. 
Our Gentile of the Week this week, uh, is uh, he ranks high on the Gentile scale by virtue of being a, an English Commonwealth Gentile. Uh, Richard F. Thomas is the George Martin Lane Professor of Classics at Harvard, where in addition to writing on Virgil and other classics, he teaches a quadrennial seminar on Bob Dylan. His latest book, Why Bob Dylan Matters, uh, actually debuts today. We are interviewing him on November 21st, and the book is being published on November 21st. Uh, Professor Thomas, welcome to Unorthodox. Hi, it's good to be with you. Uh, have you ever been a Gentile of the Week before? I know this is a first for me. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. To, thank you. To have your book debut and to be honored for your your Gentileness on the same day. It's a My gentility. Your gentility. So tell us about, we want to get to the book in a moment, but first, could you just tell us how um, a classicist comes to Bob Dylan? I mean, probably the way the rest of us do, which is Dylan's awesome, but what's your own, your own history uh, as, a, as a New Zealander with Dylan? I've been a fan throughout my life, uh, but probably in the 70s to 80s, I started having a sense that his uh, lyrics and his music were sort of mapping pretty well onto some of the ancient lyric poetry and other poetry that, that I do for my day job. And then in the 21st century, he actually started um, alluding to um, Ovid, Virgil, Homer, um, so some of the most important classical poets as as a sort of a an intertextual um, process, I guess we call it in in my field. One of the things I noticed about the book, and I'm coming as someone who does not listen to Dylan much and doesn't know a lot about Dylan, being introduced to Dylan through your book and through poetry is a very different way to learn about him as opposed to learning about him through his music. If you're transforming him into someone in the poetic tradition, do you think that affects how he is received today and also how he'll endure in the future? I mean, you're looking at poetry that survived centuries and millennia, but pop music and rock music doesn't seem like it has the chops to endure another thousand years, but perhaps poetry does. Is that part of what you see as his legacy? Yeah, I mean, I think that that puts it well. I mean, it, it's, you know, the question, will he be around in 50 years? Yeah, if, if anybody's around in 50 years, I think he will. Um, uh, beyond that, um, you know, the Nobel Committee said, you know, that Sappho wrote poetry, uh, which was set to music, but we can still read Sappho. That's true. Um, and they also said, you know, Bob Dylan, you can still read Bob Dylan without the music. Now, Dylan in his Nobel lecture actually corrected that. He said uh, he was happy enough to get the Nobel Prize for literature, if that's how they wanted to define literature. But he said... My songs need to be sung. They're not like literature. They can't be read. So he was correcting that, you know, that statement, the sort of the Swedish Academy's, I guess, attempt to sort of cover itself by awarding it to Dylan. But Dylan, Dylan insisted that, you know, his songs are songs. So now we've never been in a moment in history such as we've been in the last 50 or 100 years where we actually have a record of song. And so the song will endure through technology and um, and the the image of that particular singer singing his songs. And I think the image of Dylan, the person, the look, the sound, along with the lyrics and the music that are part of the sort of total package. And I think as long as that's still available, that will there will be an appeal to it. Um, um, and I see that in, you know, the 12 or so students that take the seminar each time, that's the limit. You know, three or four know Dylan pretty much as well as I do. So that's three or four 18-year-olds who are 
familiar with the whole corpus and so that you know that's encouraging right so is there like could you profile um the the kind of student who is still into dylan today is there a particular kind of personality um they're generally very intelligent um into poetry um three of three of the students from last year three of the 12 are, are classics majors so there's something that i find that affirming that these young kids who've been doing latin in school come to Harvard and choose to do a Dylan seminar and they all knew Dylan pretty well. So that that sort of affirms what I think the book, uh, the connections that the book was making. So, so I, I though have a question about the way that he, the way that he addresses his own transformations. I mean, you, you repeatedly circle back to it in the book, but you know, you don't have to be a very big Dylan fan to understand that for lack of better terms, and I'm going to use a, a, a highly academic term here, so forgive me, but that he repeatedly fucks with his listeners, right? He goes on the on the Rolling Thunder Review in whiteface. He says repeatedly in concerts, like, oh, look, I have my Bob Dylan mask on. He, you know, kind of disappears when, when the Nobel Committee gives him uh, the, the award. It seems like he's highly uncomfortable with the position that he's taken almost as if saying that that kind of adoration and adulation would would mess with the artistry is is that what he's doing is he retreating into pure art yeah i think so i mean i think it's i mean nobody knows because he's never really talked about himself the most he talked about his career is in the nobel lecture from this past june but you know here he is um this kid who must have realized early on that there was something unusual about him um, growing up in the sort of far north of Minnesota. And I think he, from the beginning, he basically created these masks as protection, but also masks that eventually would become the personas that he wrote his songs for. And so, you know, the joke at the Halloween concert, uh, you know, right back in the sixties where he says, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got my Bob Dylan mask on. I think that's a, that's deadly serious from an artistic point of view. And so when he writes the best protest songs, um, Blowing in the Wind, the best anti-war song, uh, Masters of War, basically the left sort of just think he's, he's their child and their spokesperson. And he, he despises that, that labeling because he's an artist who happened to write the best songs of those genres. And, and of course it's still, Basically, how people feel about Bob Dylan even now probably maps pretty well onto how they feel about uh, Vietnam or other other historical moments. We would be we would be remiss, especially talking about great albums, since uh, just I believe last week or the week before that, the the latest uh, installment of the Bootleg series came out, which is the one, of course, that deals with a very sensitive Dylan period for us Jewish Dylan fans. Sure. Um, uh, could you could you could you make some sense of of the whole uh, to quote the great another great uh, classical poet Adam Sandler you know Bob Dylan he was Jewish then he wasn't now he's back now he's back right um, yeah could you make sense of that yeah I mean I was you know I, I was basically agnostic I've since returned to my Episcopalian um, sort of practices and faith I guess but so when I heard Ma- that, tough. yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you, thank you. So, um, you know, when I heard it, I was as shocked as anyone, and as and as turned off, um, and I sort of stopped listening. I, I kept listening to the backlist, but I stopped listening because I, it wasn't the Dylan that I had created in my mind. 
Um, but since I've, I've come back to that since, and I think the whole, that whole 79 to 81 period is as great a musical period as any. I used to think that it was just, uh, that he didn't actually convert. Uh, I used to think it was just Dylan, the artist, reinventing another, yet another artistic phase, and then gradually sort of growing out of it with the title Infidels, sort of, um, you know, meaning what it does in terms of sort of abandoning his Christian faith. But I do think the evidence sort of points pretty firmly to um, to the fact that he was, you know, he was a born-again Christian for a number of months um, and uh, and produced these songs. At the same time, a lot of the songs, um, most of the songs, I'd say, don't have to be about Christ. I mean, they, they can be about a God, God, if you like, and and so there's an ambiguity that that is there with you know with few exceptions. I think pretty few exceptions. You've got to serve somebody. Doesn't say you've got to serve uh, Jesus. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord, right? The master that we all that we all serve. So um, so I do think he I do think something happened, and um, I you know I, he was yeah he had his bar mitzvah up there in Hibbing. Um, had a, I don't know how, what sort of quality Hebrew education he had, but, um, he's gone to Israel at various points. Um, but I think he's a, I think he's a, a Jew who, um, has a, a faith that comprehends a lot of stuff, but I'm only saying that from the basis of his song. So he'll have not dark yet. I was born here and I'll die here against my choice, which is like Daniel and, and other text right and then the next song i went to church on sunday as she walked by um so that i think it's helpful to think of again as those two masks or two personas or two voices that dylan has created for those two separate but not you know not completely incompatible well uh, songs amen I, I, amen i i always figure his jewish education is at least as good as as most of ours so we'll we'll uh-huh. give, we'll give him that uh professor thomas thank you so much for being our gentile of the week uh it's my pleasure the, the book is why bob dylan matters uh published today today is its birthday today it becomes yeah and 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 13 years from now you'll come back for its bar mitzvah so uh, I will look forward to that. <laughs> congratulations. God, God willing. God willing. All right. Thanks, Thank Ross Hashem. Take care. Bye bye. Okay. Take care. You walk into the room with your pencil in your hand. You see somebody naked in you. Hey, everyone, it's getting toward tax time. We already did our big fundraiser this year. But if you wanted to give us a little, you know, a few shekels, uh, they are tax deductible, right, Wayne? Yes. Yes. So go to tabletmag.com, click on donate. And in the little the little box, you can say, we want this money only spent on Orthodox. If it's spent on anything else. Um, we will sue you. Okay. Um, mazel tovs, Wayne. Did you come prepared with a Mazel Tov? I did, and it's a very nice Mazel Tov to have. A tablet contributor and Jerusalem correspondent Sarah Toth Stubb gave birth to a little girl. A little Toth Stubb? Talia Eden. So Mazel Tov to Sarah. Now, Sarah just wrote a piece for us about Israel's luxurious maternity hotels. Yes, she did. I did not ask if she was- Motels. (laughs) Motels. Motels. I didn't ask if she was doing research for her own personal maternity Uh. stay. But um, she's offline for a little while, but hopefully she'll hear this. So mazel tov to Sarah. Mazel tov, Sarah. Liel? 
My mazal tov is to uh, to my brothers in Chabad, who this Sunday had their uh, amazing kinus hashluchim, where five thousand men in black <laughs> descended on Bayona, Jersey. You love this event for the greatest party on the planet. Did you go this year? I was stuck because uh, Lisa's plane was delayed, so I couldn't uh. make it. But. I um, was there in spirit and will continue to go every year for as long as I'm invited. I have two mazel tovs. One is to the Ader family. Uh, Sarah Fredman Ader, friend of the show, frequent correspondent, had a housewarming party that she invited us all to that I couldn't make it to. Uh, but but do keep inviting us to these things. We're going to make it to some. some we love free things. food. We love free food. And this one, I think, was in Westchester. Like, I could have made it, but I wasn't able to make it. Uh, and it was also her son, Roey's uh, first. That's a hip Israeli name now, right? Because oh, yeah. on Shrugim, the, yeah. the gay brother is, is Roey. Right. What is, is it short for something? No. Or is it just Roy? Yeah. In, okay. Well, it, it depends how you spell it. Anyway. With, yeah. and, but also Mazel Tov to my friend, my shulmate, my brother-in-arms, Stephen Stahl, whose book on Appalachia. If you don't want to read... Um, uh, J.D. Vance. J.D. Vance. If you don't want to read Hillbilly Elegy and you want a scholarly, well-researched, but also very readable book on uh, the ordeal of Appalachia, uh, read Ramp Hollow by Stephen Stahl, which was reviewed in the Times today, got a real rave review. And uh, he's been working on it for a long time. And I think it's an, an important book. Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Join our Facebook group. Follow Stephanie on Instagram. Our show is produced by Alyssa Goldstein and Shira Talushkin with help from Julia Frakes. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our show is edited by Noah Levinson. Our music is by Golem. Rabbinic supervision this week, we had a whole Bezdin, a, a three-person rabbinic supervisory panel. They are responsible for all the content here, and if you dislike any of it, write to them. It's Rabbi Jody Gordon of Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Rabbi Annie Tucker of Willamette, Illinois, and Wayne Hoffman's brother. My brother, Rabbi Scott Hoffman of Temple Israel of South America on Long Island. Rabbi Scott. Rabbi Scott. Uh, if you think your rabbi should be selected to offer rabbinic supervision, write to me at Moppenheimer at tabletmag.com. We've recorded Argo Studios, which is petrified of the 13th floor. We're proud to be part of the Panoply Network. Shalom, friends. <laughs> <laughs>